minute to turn on here. Okay. You know, um, I appreciate the willingness of our musicians, but I also appreciate their talent level. <laughs> it's just amazing to me uh, for the size of our church, how talented our musicians are and how pleasant it is to hear them lead us in song. And so we thank all of you who lend your talents and your efforts. Let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for this time together to share with one another, to encourage one another, to fellowship with one another. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us now as we turn to this part of the service where we look into your word and look for your direction and your help and your encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, when a couple gives birth to a child, they often think kind of long and hard about what name they will choose for the child. And they may give the child a name of a close relative, a dearly loved friend. They may name a child after a Bible character or just a name they like in the Bible. Uh, they may do, choose a name they've always liked, you know, just one that just is, is positive to them. When we chose names for our children, we often looked at the meaning of the name and then the sound, is the sound of the name that we'd like. Now, as we all probably have experienced when you choose a name for your child, not always is every family member, and I'm talking about family members and <clears throat> extended family, not always is everybody excited about the name that you chose for your child. So sometimes a name chosen for a new, newborn can ruffle some family feathers. But there is one man who had no trouble deciding the names for his children. And you may be thinking I'm talking about Zechariah because the angel told him what name, but that's who I'm talking about. We're, we're going to get to him in a little bit. <clears throat> uh, I'm talking about a man who is still living today, extremely well-known, very, very famous, even throughout the world. And he named all of his sons George. And not just George, but he named all five of his sons George Edward Foreman. This is the George Foreman of boxing fame. You know, he was the world champion <clears throat> two different times. And so that was back in the 70s. So George Foreman was just a name everybody knew that if you heard anything about sports. Now... <clears throat> George Foreman has 12 children from five marriages, five sons and seven daughters. Every son is named George Edward Foreman. Now, the daughters aren't named George Edward Foreman, but one of the daughters is named Georgetta. Now, the reason he said he named all of his sons George Edward Foreman was because he said he wanted them to have a close bond and having so many children, he wanted them to have something special among them, something in common. But then he also said this. He said, 
You know, and he, he, he boxed in the top against the world's top, right? He says, as I've been hit, he says, if you're going to get hit as many times as I've been hit by Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, Evander Holyfield, you're not going to be able to count upon your memory as you get older. <laughs> so he just had to memorize one name, you know, and then he, then he could catch all of his sons. But now we're going to move to another child naming story, which also was controversial at its time. And we come to Zechariah, the faithful Jewish priest of God, who an angel met in the temple when he was, you know, uh, he, they cast lots and he was the one to go light the incense right in the holy place. Uh, the angel told him he and his wife would have a son, even though that they were well past childbearing years, and even during their childbearing years, they could not have a son. But God chose this faithful older couple to give birth and to raise the greatest prophet in Israel's history. So this couple that could never have a son now is having the greatest prophet in Israel's history. And he, would get the, he was the prophet that would get the nation ready for the coming of the Messiah. But the sad part of the story, which we've already heard, is that Zechariah doubted the angel's message from God. He said, how can I be sure of this? We are so old. And the angel said, in, of some, in some words, here is how you can be sure. You will not be able to speak until the prophecy comes true. And then Zechariah knew for certain that God was actually going to do this miracle because he couldn't say a word for nine months. And now it's time for the birth of this very special baby. The angel told Zechariah that this baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he would be great among the people. Now, you know, we talked a minute ago about how not everyone was happy, is happy when somebody names their child. But <clears throat> we do run into a problem here also when it comes to Zechariah giving the baby a name, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So follow with me, if you will. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and verses 57 through 66, first of all. Luke chapter 1, verses 57, starting. And it says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby... She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. 
Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. He began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of uh, throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, "What then is this child going to be?" For the Lord's hand was with him. <clears throat> I want you. Well, when we read of this. We see that God worked this out in a way that no one could have predicted. Here's a couple never able to have children through their childbearing years. Now they're past childbearing years. And they're going to give birth to the greatest prophet in Israel's history. And not only that, but this priest, Zechariah, was chosen by Lot. You know, they say there were... <clears throat> 18,000 priests in that time. They were divided into 24 groups of priests. And each group, each division, would go into the temple and serve, you know, to light the incense or do, do the temple work twice a year, two weeks out of the year. So you could never, and, and it would be chosen by lot, so you would never know who was going to be in the temple lighting the incense. And so God works all this out in a way that nobody could ever have predicted. And when it comes time to name the child, there's all this pushback from their relatives and friends. They're thinking, of course he's going to name him Zechariah. Where in the world does John come from? And you think of this because, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in age. This was a miracle. It would probably never happen again. This would be the only chance of them passing on or Zechariah passing on the family name because that was the first name. So that was all the more reason that they would just normally just, you would just think without even thinking that they would name him Zechariah. But Zechariah says his name is John. So on the one hand, you have these prophecies in the Old Testament. You have it in the, the uh, book of Isaiah, and you have it in the book of Malachi, about this voice crying out in the desert, prepare yourselves for the coming of the Lord. But did anyone through all those years, all those centuries, ever dream that the person prophesied to cry out would be born to parents who could not have children? I mean, you would have never even thought that. It wouldn't even entered our minds. And then another thing I'd like to mention here, Zechariah here teaches us at least two important lessons. You know, he was a man very faithful, very dedicated to God, very knowledgeable about his faith. He was exemplary as far as others being able to look up to him as a servant of God and, and someone they could follow and and just model off of. And I'll bet that Zechariah certainly believed in the miracles in the scriptures and that God was all-powerful and he could do anything. He believed in the creation. I'm sure he believed 
that God pummeled Egypt with all the plagues to free the Israelites. He caused water to come out of the rock. He drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. He fed the Israelites for 40 years with manna in the desert and quail. I'm sure that <clears throat> Zechariah believed all those things as he read them. I'm sure he taught them. Yet, when God sent this powerful angel to just appear before him as he was lighting the incense right beside the altar and tell him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby in their old age, he couldn't believe it. Isn't that strange how that happens? We believe some pretty amazing things in the Bible, but when it comes to ourselves, I don't know about that. And in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, <clears throat> you know, they had been through so many years and decades of unanswered prayer and disappointment of not being able to have children. That I think it makes it much harder for him to believe after all that time of not being able to, that all of a sudden they're going to have this child. But the lesson is God can do whatever he chooses to do. There is no limit to God's power. He can do whatever he chooses to do. Now, <clears throat> in that, I'm not saying that God will do anything we want him to do. But God can do anything he says he will do. And he determines to do. Because nothing is too difficult for God. And so as Zechariah learns this important lesson, he says to all who are there, his name is John. And see, that's the big difference in our story. The crowd wants him to say his name is Zechariah. God tells him to say his name is John, which means God is gracious. And you know, just before we move on from this passage, I want to look at the last thing mentioned. <clears throat> the two verses before that we read already. It says, all the neighbors, you know, throughout this whole matter of the circumcision and the naming, and of course the birth, all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. You know, because God worked this out the way that he did, and he brought this about the way that he chose to do, Everyone was deeply affected by this. They were in awe. The birth of this child to this older couple. And now the naming of the child. What kind of a child, what kind of a person would this child grow up to be? Well, you know, so this child now already has somewhat of a widespread reputation. And later in the gospel, we will see that the crowds poured out to hear John. And I'm sure part of it was because his whole community knew that he was going to be something special. And even that word spread out. And John was so popular that people just poured out to be baptized. And they listened to his message and they asked him, 
what should we do? What should I do to repent? Because John was saying, repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. And the religious leaders even sent people to ask him if he was the Messiah. And so it appears that God used this very unusual beginning as least, at least as part of the, um, the workings to bring people out to listen to John so he could prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lord. Getting people ready to meet the Messiah, the Messiah of ages past. So we can see that God used unusual things to get people's attention to use, to use it in the future. So let me ask you this. Is God doing something unusual in your life? Is he taking you through something difficult? Are you going through something you did not sign up for? We don't know how God may use something in the past in our future, right? Just like he used John the Baptist's birth to be part of his you know, public coming out in the future. What we may be going through may be painful. It may be difficult. It may even be unfair. It may be another person's problem that's plaguing you, affecting you. But God can use all of those things, can't he? Just like a couple that can't have children and went all their lives without being able to have children until they were very old. When we follow God and keep our trust in him, then we can be certain that our lives and the things that happen in our lives are not going to be meaningless. Even as hard as they can get. Even as, as much as we don't want to go through that experience. Because sometimes God uses the most inexplicable and unexpected things to accomplish the greater good in the future. And so the message is from Zechariah, we have to keep our hopes high in him and our trust in him, even in the hardest times, even if we're getting cheated, even if the plan is, is, seems awful to us. Because God has a plan. And in this case, his name was going to be John. They wanted Zechariah. God said, it's going to be John. And now Zechariah is given back his voice. And God is going to use that voice that he was given to talk to the people. <clears throat> and so, in verses 67 through 75, look what Zechariah has for the people. This is Holy Spirit prophecy coming through Zechariah. His father was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. 
Zechariah is prophesying to the people by the means of the Holy Spirit what the birth of this baby means. It has a much, much bigger meaning, right, than, than Zechariah and Elizabeth finally having a son. He wasn't given to them just to make them fulfilled and happy, although I'm sure he did. But he was going to play a major part in God's redemption plan to fulfill the promises made to Abraham. You know, this part that we just read, he was talking about the Messiah, of course, not talking about his own son yet. In the part of the prophecy, he's talking about Jesus coming from the house of David and being descendant of the king. And this Messiah would save Israel. He'd fulfill the promises made to Abraham. Then... He goes and talks about his own son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Uh, Zechariah is prophesying how John would fit into the plan of God's redemption. And his redemption has a goal. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. It's not only to save his people from their enemies, and not only to fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham, but also he's freeing them in order so that they can freely serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all their days. Now, that statement tells us something very important. Not only does salvation bring us into freedom from sin and death, not only does it open our eyes to what is true and important and most lasting, but it enables us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. And that's really a promise for some of us now and for all of us in the future But many Christians today we know serve and worship God under threats of being arrested and jailed. Many worship him under threats of beatings and death. And not just threats, they do happen. And many have their houses and churches destroyed and they lose their jobs and lose family members. But one day when the Messiah returns, there will be no more threats. No more persecutions. No more outcasting of people because they believe in God. No more kidnappings, taking people out of their homes. No more harsh labor camps or years spent in prison or beatings or murderings or rampages that we hear about all the time going on in different places. In holiness and righteousness all of our days, That is one big reason that God saves us in order for us to worship him in holiness and righteousness. 
And so you see, <clears throat> it isn't just a thing where, you know, I believe in Jesus and now I'm saved and I'll just go live the way I want it. It's Jesus has come into my life so I can worship him in truth. And this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Zechariah about the coming Messiah. And he will bring God's righteousness. And he will bring God's justice to the world. And he will put down all wrong and evil and hurt and lying and corruption. He will come and he will make all things new. And John was going out and preparing people's hearts to receive the Messiah, to, to welcome the Messiah. And then he talks about his son, as we looked at. He will be called the prophet of the Most High. He will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. <clears throat> now John would have this very special mission of preparing the nation for the coming of the Messiah. He was to go out and help get their minds and hearts ready for the coming of the Messiah so that they would recognize him and they would know what to do when he came. He says he will give the people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I say this often from the pulpit, you know, where John preached a, a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because I see this as one of the biggest stumbling blocks to people about understanding salvation in Christ. Almost everybody, <clears throat> you know, outside the church, almost everybody just thinks you get to heaven by being good enough. Or you get to heaven by not being over the line bad, too bad. But either way, it's by a good life that you get to heaven. Or maybe a bad life that isn't so bad. Either way, it's earning your own salvation. But that will never, ever, ever get anyone to heaven. And John the Baptist came out preparing people for the Messiah, but he was preaching, preaching a message of repentance, sorrow for our sins, going to God and asking for forgiveness in order that we could have forgiveness. Salvation only comes through the forgiveness of God. We have to be cleansed from our sins. Salvation is a cleansing and a renewing. It only comes through repentance and forgiveness. And it's according to the mercies because of the tender mercy of our God by which the sun, the rising sun, will come to us from heaven. He comes to us as the rising sun to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. <clears throat> peace as we serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness all of our days. This is God's indescribable gift. This is the Christmas message of God's overwhelming love for mankind. People have such a wrong view of God 
and of Christianity and what salvation is all about. People have this view that God is this monster up there ready to just pound on anybody that does something wrong. People have this view of Christians just being tight people who are afraid to do something wrong. We could never have put together this salvation. We could never have thought of it, this salvation message that God has given to us. Our limited understanding, our limited knowledge, our sin nature that affects us, we would never be able to come up with this. And so I think when people turn away from God today, which we're hearing about all over the place, they turn away from God because they see something that they can't explain. How could God let that happen? Or something happens to them and they're so disappointed and they're so devastated because something happened to them and God let it happen. Or they see something, something in the Bible and they say, I can't believe that. Really, when they're doing that, how can we understand the fullness of God? You know, we, we mistake things just in our own lives. When somebody does something we don't see and we didn't know they did it, and we get on to a huff until we find out what the, what the truth was behind the matter. So we do it all the time. How are we going to understand the fullness of God and the way he's working all through history to bring about salvation and to bring about his kingdom? And so for people to turn away from God because they see something they can't justify or see something that they can't match with who they think God is, they're, they're saying they're smarter than God. We have to have humility, don't we? We have to realize that we need to humbly follow his ways. Like I said, when we see the things that we read in the Bible, who would have ever dreamed of having John the Baptist come on the scene through, that, through the way God did it? Who would have ever dreamed that Christ would come to us through the way he came to us? We just have to realize... <clears throat> That we are to humbly follow his ways. He's given us enough evidence to show because he sent Christ and Christ was beaten to death. He's given us enough evidence to show that he truly loves us and now he wants us to trust him. And we must come to the same conclusion as Zechariah did even when he didn't have all the answers and the thing was that he should have named him Zechariah. His name is John. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can't fully understand you because then how could we trust you if you were just like one of us? You have to be greater than us to trust you to save us for eternity and for you to take care of all the problems in the world in the end. And we pray that we could have that faith and that we could share that faith with others and that our faith would grow in strength as we continue in your word and fellowshipping with one another and worshiping you. We thank you for all that you do for us and all that you've done and how you brought your message of salvation and salvation itself to our world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.